the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time once again for another look into God's infallible book as we welcome you to another broadcast of the Riches of Grace. This program is the radio voice of Grace School of the Bible and is brought to you by Christian people who believe the Bible to be the Word of God and who appreciate its power and authority. At the heart of our ministry is the desire to help you appreciate and rejoice in the riches of God's grace to us in Christ. That's why we call this program The Riches of Grace. We're happy you've tuned our way today and trust that our time together will prove a real blessing as we continue with a series of studies designed to help you understand and enjoy the Bible. My name is Alex Kurz, and it's my privilege to invite you to join us as Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, brings us another message from the Word of God. Thank you, Alex, and we're certainly glad, my friend, that you've joined us today for another time of studying God's Word. We trust that as we look again into God's Word together, that this, pro, this our study to, will be a, a help and a blessing to you. If you've joined us, by the way, for the very first time today, can I say to you that we meet each week right here at this time on this place on the radio dial. Maybe you should mark the time and the place on the dial and join us each week. Make, make it a habit of being with us week after week as we study together right here. You know, there's nothing more exciting in all of, all, of your, all of life than to have God's Word working effectually in you that believe. In order to do that, you have to understand the Word of God. You have to be able to grasp it and, 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 and comprehend it with your thinking in order to make it a part of yourself. And our purpose here is just simply to help you understand and enjoy the Word of God so that it then can go to work in you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse number 1, um, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. We're going to uh, conclude our look at that verse today. We started last week. Uh, we've been looking now at a series uh, of uh, places where the Apostle Paul says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. And uh, that, that title, Ignorant Brethren, you have to take the comma out of it and make a title out of it. That's, that could easily be the title of the world's largest denomination. And Paul said, there's some things I don't want you to be ignorant of. And there's six special areas where he uses that expression to point out uh, these, uh, these special areas that he wants you to, to be understanding in and not to be ignorant of, because these are areas that the adversary especially focuses on, having found it to be very profitable to confuse believers about these six areas of, of understanding so that your Christian life doesn't work effectively the way God designed it to operate. And I suppose that uh, there's very few places where the issue of spiritual gifts is con concerned, uh, like, like the issue of spiritual gifts, where there's such confusion and turmoil. Just as it was at Corinth, uh, when, he, when he says, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, for you, he, he immediately talks about how they, they once were. Uh, you know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols even as you were led. They once had been deceived by spiritual phenomena in false religion. Now, as believers, they were being deceived by what they thought was legitimate spiritual phenomena. 
And Paul goes through chapter 12, 13, and 14 and gives the Corinthians some objective evidence, some sound doctrine to guide them and to safeguard them in the area of spiritual gifts. You see, friend, in, in the area of spiritual things, you have to be concerned not just about the Holy Spirit's power, but also about the adversary's power. And Paul lays down some sound doctrine. Chapter 12, he, he, he demonstrates how these spiritual gifts are given by one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Everybody's got the different gift, but they all got it from one spirit who produces unity, uses those gifts to produce unity. Chapter 13, he, he rebukes the Corinthians for their abuse of the spiritual gifts. And then in chapter 14, where we're going to look today, he provides a procedure whereby they are able to identify the true working of God in the spiritual gifts and the counterfeit uh, working of the adversary and the religious system. Chapter 14, verse 1, follow after charity and, demand, and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Now, he's going to deal in 1 Corinthians 14 with two gifts. One, the gift of prophecy. Uh, and he says in verse 5, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he may interpret that the church may receive edifying. Verse 12, he says, even... So ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Everything you read here is very clear that Paul is interested in the edification, the spiritual edification of the believers as a whole, the church. And that's why he focuses on the gift of prophecy, because when, verse 3, he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. But the Corinthians were enamored with the gift of tongues. And so Paul is going to, in chapter 14, deal with the issue of the gift of tongues. And you notice immediately what he says in verse 2 here, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, that is not a compliment, by the way. That's not good. That's a rebuke. Verse 4, he says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. That isn't a compliment. The guy speaking in an unknown tongue edifying himself, that's not good. That's bad. Speaking in an unknown tongue and just speaking to God and not able to speak to anybody else for their edification is not good. That's bad. How do you know? Chapter 12, verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit one of which is speaking in tongues, is given to every man to profit, what? Not personally, not individually, but with all. It's for everybody's profit. First Peter 4.10, Peter says, if you, you've been given a, a gift, then minister it to the, for everybody, to, to everybody. Nobody received, that's the whole point in chapter 12 of the doctrine there, everybody received a gift, each individual that received a gift received it not for their individual use, but for the greater good of the whole group. Now, what was happening at Corinth is that some folks were on an ego trip. They were edifying themselves. They were using a gift that was meant for the whole group's edification. They were using it for their own self 
aggrandizement. They were using it in a selfish manner to build themselves up. They were on an ego trip. They enjoyed exercising the, the spectacular showy gift in front of all their friends. But the purpose of God was for the saints to get together for, edi for the edifying of the whole body, not self-gratification or personal experience seeking. God never gave a gift for that, and people that were using it for that demonstrated that they weren't using it, that it wasn't God working through them. It was their own religious fervor. It was their flesh doing it. Especially is that true here with regard to speaking in tongues. And the tongue talking had literally become a standard. It had become the measure of the validity of their Christian experience, their spiritual life. That's why it says in chapter 14, verse 37, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual. You see, they had used these, this gift of tongues especially as the, the validating criteria to be a spokesman for God and to be truly spiritual. Now, that's a very contemporary issue, is it not? Well, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul gives a series of objective standards and tests where you can know whether the gift that you're seeking and the gift that you're looking at, maybe you're operating, maybe you're seeing operated around you, whether it's from God or not. In 1 Corinthians 14, in essence, what Paul says is, when God does it, this is the way it works. If it doesn't work this way, then it isn't God doing it. Now, when he gets down to begin giving you the test, then the start in verse 21 and go down to the, about verse 35, he says this in verse 20, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be children, but in understanding be men. Now he's back to chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you to be ignorant. Verse 3, I give you to understand. Paul wants you to understand some things. And the test for speaking in tongues, as any of the other gifts, but the tongue speaking is what he deals with here, is this issue of understanding. And he says, concerning malice, will then be children. Don't, don't get involved in that. You see, Paul understood this was a touchy topic. He understood that when people get involved, especially in speaking in tongues, that they feel that they're directly in touch with the supernatural. I mean, here's something that you can experience, something that you can, you, that, that's tangible, that, that, that you can feel. It's not dry and academic and cold and lifeless, but it feels right. It feels real. You can feel the warmth and the excitement and the love. And Paul says, I know that you get all caught up in that, that feeling part of it. And he knew that because of that, there was a powerful intimidation factor at work against people who didn't want to be ignorant but wanted to stand on a sound understanding and operate simply on the basis of the doctrine rather than their experience as the criteria for what God's doing. You see, to be ignorant about these things is not simply unscriptural. It's dangerously wrong for your, your spiritual health. You need to be able to understand 
what and how to know whether it's God at work or whether it's a counterfeit. Now, the standards, there are seven tests that he gives here for identifying whether speaking in tongues is uh, has God as its source, if it's what God's doing, or if it's not. And in essence, what Paul says, when God does it, here's the way it works. And he gives seven rules. Number one, verse 21, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord, wherefore tongues are for a sign. Number one, tongues are for the benefit of the nation Israel. When he says, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, who is that? Well, go back and, and read. That's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 and 12. Go back and read it. It's a, it's a reference to the nation Israel. Verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 has already told us. The Jews require a sign. You see, the sign gift program is a, is a part of the national heritage of the nation Israel. When, when Moses... When God first formed the nation Israel, Moses brought him out of Egypt. Moses protested God's commissioning him to do so. God gave Moses two signs, serpent handling and healing. And he said, these two signs will cause him to believe. That's why the, the Bard of Israel identifies the sign gifts as Psalm 74, verse 9, our signs. They're the birthright of the nation Israel. Tongues specifically belong to that favored nation. Rule number one, tongues in the Bible are for the benefit of the nation Israel. Everywhere you see them, that's what they'll be for in the Bible. They're our signs, Israel says. Number two, they're for the purpose of convincing unbelieving Jews, not for convincing believers and especially not Gentile believers. Verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth them that believe not, uh, serveth not them that believe not, but them which believe. You see, tongues were for a testimony to unbelieving Jews. Because of their heritage, the Jews required a sign. 1 Corinthians one twenty-two says, Simply, they, they simply wouldn't believe without it. That's what Jesus said when he told the nobleman, John 4, 48, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. What did Israel see? They saw their signs operating out there among the Gentiles. What did that tell them? That said to them that God is going to speak to all those nations out there in all those languages without you. It's a sign of God's judgment on Israel the, that through the fall of Israel, salvation goes to the Gentiles. Tongues are for a sign to the nation Israel. Now, rule number one, tongues are for the benefit of, Israel, of, the, nation, of the nation Israel. Number two, they're for the purpose of convincing unbelieving Israel. Number three, they're to be used for the edifying of the church at large, not the individual. Verse 26, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a, a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Verse number 12, even so ye, were, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. You see, that's why it's a problem back in verse 4 
when the guy speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That's not good. That's bad. There's no private, personal edification designed by God. When God's operating the, the speaking in tongues, it isn't a private, personal edification. It's the edification of the group. Therefore, there's no so-called private prayer language, no heavenly language that you get that's just between you and God so you can talk to God. God doesn't need that for you to talk with him. Tongues are not for God's benefit. They're not for your benefits individually. They're for the group's benefit. There's no such thing as a private prayer language. That's, that's a theological gimmick developed by people who see a verse, don't know what to do with it, develop a gimmick to try to get around what this passage is saying. Now, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18, by the way, Isaiah warns the nation Israel, when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards. Now, who's that? Well, that's the false religion. That's the occult. That's the religion out there that, that God had didn't have anything to do. That's the satanic policy of evil in religion. And these familiar spirits and these wizards do what? That peep and mutter. You see, in pagan religion, is paganism is filled. All kind, Every religion in the world has its tongue-talking exercises. All you got to do is look up the Encyclopedia Britannica, and you can see that. I mean, you, you'd have to, you have to just have your head in the sand not to understand that. And Paul says, no, that isn't what's going on. When God's doing it, it isn't that. When God's doing it, it's for the good of everybody. Rule number four, verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue by two, or at the most, by three. In other words, rule number four, no more than three people are to speak in tongues in any one meeting. And that, verse 27, by, by course, Rule number five, each of those three that do speak in tongues are to wait their turn and do it in order. So there won't be any confusion. Confusion. Verse 33, God's not the author of confusion. Verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. You see, order is to be maintained. Why? In order that edification can be had by everybody. Everybody knows what's going on. No confusion, no loss of control, no being carried away under these dumb idols, even as you're led. You see, when you lose control and you're carried away in this stuff, it isn't God doing it. When God does it, the speaker's always in control. Verse 28, rule number six. If there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. You see that? One person is to interpret, that is, they're to translate or you're not to do it. And then verse number 27 again, rule number seven, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, only men are to speak in tongues, no women. You say, now wait a minute, Jordan, now, now, you're, now you're really blaspheming, now you're a male chauvinist. No, I'm just reading the verse. Verse 34, let the women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. Now, you know Paul's not prohibiting the ladies from talking or holding a conversation during the meetings. No. The context of 1 Corinthians 14, 34 is speaking in tongues. It is not permitted unto them to speak in tongues. All right? That's the rules.
If a person is speaking by the Spirit of God, well, you can expect them to do no less than follow the guidelines set down by the Spirit of God, right? All right, here they are. Two men, maybe three at the most, get up by course, that is in order, to speak. They're followed by an interpreter, somebody who translates what, what, what they said. No women speakers, no talking at the same time, no speaking by more than three, no absence of, an, of a translator, and all of it done as a witness to unbelieving Jews. Now, let me ask you something. Would those rules put you out of business? Would they put out of business what you see going on around you? If that's what you're doing, if you're doing what that's, that passage says, if in your meetings there, there are no more than three men doing it, you know, there's no women doing it, no, no women speaking, there's, there, there's nobody talking at the same time, uh, there, there, there's no speaking by more than three, there's no, as always, a translator, and it's being done as a witness to unbelieving Israel. Well, if that's what you're doing, then I'd say forbid not to speak in tongues and get on with it. Anything else, though, anything else, not 30% agreement, not most of it, but anything else, then you just need to be honest enough to acknowledge that it's not the God of the Bible that's working in your midst. Now, friend, you're free to do whatever you want to do, except to say it's something that it isn't. God has said, this is the way you know when I'm doing it. Now, the truth of the matter is that God is not operating the spiritual gift program today. You say, well, why do you say that, Brother Rick? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 8. I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse number 8 is very clear. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Look at the passage. You need to get this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. One of the greatest uh, snow jobs has ever been produced on, on the body of Christ is to tell you that 1 Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter, when it's not. 1 Corinthians 13 is a rebuke to the Corinthians for their misuse of spiritual gifts. And 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, tells them that the fundamental problem that, that, that in their misuse is they put all their eggs in this basket that's going to go away. The one basic thing they've got to understand about spiritual gifts is the spiritual gift program is going to pass away. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, and that's the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, the gift of knowledge, it shall vanish away. In other words, there's going to come a time when the gifts, when the, when the spiritual gifts no longer operate. They're going to no longer be a part of God's program. They would no longer be dispensationally correct. Now, when was that going to happen? Verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. The spiritual gifts are going to cease when that which is perfect has come. Can't be any clearer than that. Now, I know somebody says, well, that's, that's when, when Jesus comes, second coming. But that's, that, that doesn't make any sense. The second coming of Christ isn't in the context here at all. Beside that, do you refer to the Lord as that which? No, he, he's a person, not a thing. And beyond that, the, the word perfect has to do with maturity, being brought to full completion. Where in the world did you ever get the idea in the Bible that you're given 
uh, to think that you should wait until Christ returns to grow up. That's something we're to do right now, friend. Now, the identity of that which is perfect isn't difficult to ascertain from the verses if you just read them. He says, we know in part. What then is in part? Knowledge, that's right. What does, what does away with partial knowledge? Complete knowledge, that's right. You knew that. The perfecter, the completer, must be the same substance as the thing being completed. There's no other way. That which is perfect has to do with the completion of the message committed to the Apostle Paul. It has to do with the completion of the written Word of God, the written revelation of God. And when God's Word is completed, then there's no need for extra-biblical revelations. And that's exactly what's done with tongues. When tongues were in order, they were used to communicate revelation from God. Today, that revelation is complete. God has finished His Word, and there's no need. God has replaced the spiritual gift program with something far better, with the written Word of God, which is able to make the man of God perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Friend, you don't need the spiritual gifts. What you need is, the, is a clear understanding of the written Word of God, rightly divided, so your faith can rest in an intelligent understanding of God's Word. Be not children in understanding. Put away childish things. In understanding, be men, be adults. Let me offer you a free Bible study tape before we go off the air today. It's entitled, Things Tongue Talkers Don't Talk About. Now, this is a detailed study of 1 Corinthians 14. And the, the, the standards, the tests that Paul's give, these objective tests to authenticate spiritual gifts as to whether they're from God or are they an imitation or counterfeit. So your, your faith can rest on God's Word to you. To receive your free copy, simply call me here at our toll-free number, 888-535-2300. That's 888-535-2300. Or, of course, you can write me here at the, at, at the Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. That's the Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. My friend, we also want you to know about Grace School of the Bible because we have a, we have a rather uniquely designed three-year Bible Institute program available on an extension basis. Our school is, is unique in, in several ways. First, we, we follow the Pauline design for the edification of the believer in our curriculum. Rather, rather than patterning our curriculum after the standard systematic theologies that are uh, used by most Bible institutes and Bible schools and seminaries, we, we followed a clearly designed outline and pattern for edification that's found in Paul's epistles. And what that does is it allows students to grow to maturity uh, the Pauline way and, and to quickly be prepared for the ministry that the Lord has for them. Another, another uniqueness of, of Grace School of the Bible is that it's offered on an extension basis through the use of a video. In other words, we, we send the school to you rather than requiring you to come to us. And what that does is allows you to enjoy the regular sound Bible teaching and edification in the comfort and convenience of your own home and to fit it into your own scheduling demands and the, and the ministry that perhaps you already have where you are. If you are or you'd 
have ever desired to be, a serious student of God's Word, why not call us today for a free catalog? That number again is 888-535-2300. And let me also say thanks to those who are helping us to keep this program on this station. This is uh, genuinely listener-supported radio. And I hope you're encouraged to know that there are folks in your area who love the Word of God rightly divided and who rejoice in the message of grace and the joy of the grace life. My friend, if you don't have a fellowship to attend this week where the message of grace is taught from the rightly divided word and the grace life is clearly proclaimed, call me and we'll put you in touch with a group in your area where you can find that fellowship and encouragement. Our number again is 888-535-2300. Or of course you can write me at any time at The Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 601. And friend, if you're still not sure of salvation, that your sins are forgiven, and that you have eternal life as a present possession, be sure to let us know, and we'll be happy to send you some gospel literature that will make the way plain. That number again is 888-535-2300. Thanks for joining us today, and until we meet again this same time and place next week, Maranatha. At Burn Fat Orlando, we're open to help you lose up to 30 to 40 pounds in 40 days, helping you build a strong immune system, especially in these crazy times when you need it most. The Center for Disease Control states those at greatest risk are overweight, diabetic, and or have high blood pressure. With our step-on-a-scale money-back guarantee, you'll drop the pounds, get healthy, and strengthen your immune system. Call 855-889-8446. That's 855-889-8446. And schedule your in-office or phone appointment. Or visit BurnFatOrlando.com. Hello, I'm Alistair Begg, inviting you to join me each weekday at 8 a.m. as we open the Word of God and discover its relevance to our life. Truth for Life and Alistair Begg on the all-new 50,000 Watt, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Hi, this is Robert Jeffers from Pathway to Victory. Has it been a while since you've been to church? It's time to get back. This is AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word, WTLN, Orlando, Winter Park. Portions of this broadcast hour are pre-recorded. Make It Clear Ministries has sponsored this Make It Clear broadcast. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And then there could be a few of you that are saying, I hardly pray once a week. And if I didn't come to church and you had us bow our heads and you led us in prayer, I might not even pray then. How in the world could I pray night and day? This is going to be overwhelming. Some of you might also say to pray night and day. I'd never get anything done. Well, I know the preacher little quotes, you know, the more you pray, the more you get done. The less you pray, the less you get done. All of that. I realize all that. But I'd rather go back to what scripture shows us. Paul said, night and day I pray. Yet you would have to be honest if you follow the life of Paul just in Scripture. That there was no one who was more busier than the Apostle Paul. At least as an apostle serving the Lord. If you agree with that, would you say, "Uh uh-huh? 
So if Paul was busy building relationships, taking care of his needs, all the persecution he has gone through, writing letters, and then dealing with people, and yet he said he prayed night and day, then I think we see a man in balance. One who could say, I prayed, but I also worked. I worked. But I also prayed. And somehow at the end of his life, all that God wanted him to do got done so he could say, I finished the course of my ministry and my life and my purpose on earth with what, everyone? Joy. And so I believe that Paul said, yes, I can be busy, but I can pray. I can pray and I can still get things done. So we can pray as frequently as God would have us to pray. Look, if you will, at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 there in your notes. And here's what you read. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So not only did he pray night and day, he invited them to pray for him as well as often as he can. Now what I'd like to submit to you would be a particular exercise that you might want to put into your life if you say, you know, Pastor, I do want to pray more frequently. What might I do? Now, there's a lot of gimmicks and gadgets that are out there. And I'm going to submit one to you. Try it. At least try this one. If you have another one that works for you, email it to me. I'd like to see it. All I'm trying to do is to encourage each one of us to build a deeper relationship with the Lord in intimacy by speaking to Him from our heart more frequently. And so here's one gimmick. One would be to pray the first two minutes. Just write that down. I'm going to pray the first two minutes. And of course, your question is going to be, of what? Well, I might say, pray the first two minutes of everything. Maybe for some of you, I don't know how you get up in the morning. Maybe you get up when the alarm clock rings or the clock radio. Maybe you have your, your, uh, your smartphone has an alarm on it and that gets you up. Maybe you get awakened because your mate is shaking you and screaming at you. You got to get up, go to work or go to school. But whatever it might be, maybe you could take the first two minutes and you could start your day by saying something like this. Lord, I am glad that I'm alive and I have an opportunity to know you today and to serve you. Did you catch that? And Lord, I know that in this day that you're going to permit things to come my way to help build character in my life as well as to reach out and to touch other people for the kingdom. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for that opportunity. And I begin my day ready to go for you. Now that took probably less than two minutes. But if it's from the heart and beginning, then do it. Maybe your next two minutes will be while you're driving down the highway. And you're now talking to the Lord in that special time alone with Him. And maybe while you're doing that, you might be afraid that that as you do that, you might not be able to pay attention. Yes, you can. Because you're probably thinking about a lot of other things before you start your day. But that two minutes in the car, don't turn on your radio. Don't put on your CD. Don't put on your headset to talk to someone on the phone. Take the first two minutes in the car. Tell the kids as you're taking them to school or to soccer practice to say, just a moment. Our first two minutes, we're going to have a time of silence as we talk to the Lord. And some of you men, as you're in your pickup trucks, you're heading into town. Maybe as you park your car in your job site or at your office. Before you get out, take the first two minutes and say, Lord, I'm about to go into my mission field. The pastor and our missionaries have their mission field. This is my marketplace mission field. And so, Lord, I pray that I'll be a man of integrity, 
that I'll keep my eyes where they ought to be and my mind where they ought to be and share words that ought to be said. And so, Lord, I begin my day two minutes with you. Now, you could take that and fling that in everything from going to a game to picking up your kids to coming home to going to bed at night. The point of the matter is just talk to him frequently. Find something that really works for you. Let me read to you this great writer by the name of Oswald Chambers. You might have heard of him. Here's what he said about beginning each day in prayer. Morning, evening, he says, If in the first waking moment of the day you learn to fling the door back and let God in, every public thing will be stamped with the presence of God. Think about that. C.S. Lewis wrote this about beginning every day with prayer. The moment you wake up each morning... All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists of shoving it all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting the other, larger, stronger, but quieter life come flowing in. I think you know what he's getting at there, don't you? And so that's starting your day. So find out what really triggers it for you. Now, I talked a lot about starting your day. But may I encourage you, he said, every day and every night, that at the end of your night, that you would take a moment to pray. Two minutes before you go to sleep. You might sleep better, leaving all your burdens on him, reminding that God is in control of everything you can control, thanking him for whatever he's done to provide for you that day or protect you from something that day. And may I say something to you men, my dear men here, my brothers, my band of brothers. Maybe it's something that we men need to do more often is if we do go to bed at the same time with our wife, which I hope that you do, that maybe the last word she might hear is your voice talking to God about her the last two minutes of every day. So pray frequently. Find what works for you. Build that relationship. Secondly, pray earnestly. That verse goes on to say, and I like this, I want to pick out the verse. It says, night and day praying exceedingly. Some translations say praying earnestly that we may see your face and perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So he talks about doing it exceedingly. In the Greek it talks about doing it exceedingly abundantly. So our talking to God is not only we do it exceedingly, we do it with abundance. We talk to him again as often as we possibly can. Look at Ephesians 3.20. It says this, Now to him who is able to do talking about God, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory. That phrase, exceedingly abundantly. Look up here for a moment, if you will now. He says, I will do for you exceedingly abundantly. Now what we do is we talk to the Lord that same exceedingly abundantly back to him. Now, did you catch that? He does for us. We talk to him. And what do you think that does? It builds a relationship of intimacy with him. Now, I like sports. I don't see it as often as maybe some of you do, and occasionally I try to do it. I'm one of those that perhaps watches more of the Super Bowl or maybe the last of the, the championship games and maybe the World Series and all the, st- all the race cars. I might record the Indianapolis 500 and all at the very end to see that, hoping that I don't see who wins on the Internet before I see it after I've taped it. You know, you've been there, done that. But one thing about baseball that I like to see, and some of you that like baseball, 
Do you remember the times when the game is very important, it's very, very close, and all of a sudden you see the swing of the bat and you hear the crack as it hits the ball, and you know that ball is traveling. And as they show you now into the outfield, there is that outfielder, and he knows that ball is going somewhere where he is not. And he is barreling because all the eyes of all the world is looking at him because he has got to essentially save the game by catching that ball. And how many of you have seen different shots on television where that ball player jumps up and his arm and his glove is even above the wall and he catches that slams against the wall how many carrying lifelong injuries because of that are running forward as fast as they can to scoop that ball put the mitt there just before the ball hits the dirt and it goes right into their mitt and they scrape themselves up doing it how many have seen at least one play similar to that all right, that is a, is a visual picture for just a moment. That, that that ball player was doing exceedingly abundantly to get something. He was stretching himself. And I think maybe a little bit of that could be in this passage when we say, all right, Lord, I want to do exceedingly abundantly better in my communicating with you. I want to stretch myself with prayer. I want to let go of doing good things so I can stretch and reach the great things for God. It's going to take that. It's going to take a discipline to change, to stretch out like that. I desperately need you, Lord, and I'm going to stretch out exceedingly in prayer to communicate with you. Here's a caveat. Don't forget the passage talks about that we may see your face and perfect or mature that which is lacking in your faith. This exceeding now was so much that Paul wanted those others to be in intimacy with God that he prayed exceedingly for them. Now take that same principle and apply that for your son, for your daughter, for your husband, for your friend, for your employer, for your boss exceedingly abundantly John Bunyan the author of Pilgrim's Progress wrote this when thou prayest rather let thy heart be without words than thy words be without heart let me read that again when thou prayest rather let thy heart be without words than thy words be without heart Abraham Lincoln said this I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. It goes back to, are we desperate? It's when we feel like we're so much in control and we can make things happen and it is about us. We don't need the Lord. We hardly need to thank Him. But it's when we realize that we are so desperate without Him and that we need that connectability with Him. Then we'll see that that's found in prayer. So here's an exercise, a couple of them for you. Again, you might have something that works for you. Send it my way. These are just two I'd like to suggest to you. Try these. When you pray, pray out loud. I know that we can, through just in our hearts, silently pray to the Lord. That is biblical. It is not anti-biblical to pray silently. Some of you are very shy. That's your personality style. Some of you are feeling like I might make a mistake. I might embarrass others. Some of you come from a, a, a... a tradition, a religious tradition that says that religion and Christianity or faith or whatever is very private with you. And I, I submit and I, I say that is good. But I have to ask you, is that still working for you? 
Are you building your intimacy with the Lord? Are you praying frequently and exceedingly with the Lord? Or is it that you use that and you are, but all of a sudden it's turning into just you're thinking about the Lord. You're thinking about your problems. You're thinking about the other issues. You're a little silent about it. You're thinking about God involved in all this, but you haven't really chosen to focus as if you're talking to a real being. It's just a lot of stuff you're thinking about. That can happen on the inside. But when you pray out loud, it's hard to talk, think. It's think and talk. Some of you, maybe you're like me, you begin to pray and all of a sudden your prayers turn into some roadie thing that goes on and you ramble and you just kind of... It's in, but you never really focus as you talk to the Lord. Sometimes it's easy to focus when you talk to Him out loud. Now whether you do it in your home or some of you might do it while you're driving down the highway. Don't, let, don't worry about what other people, they're driving along, they see you all by yourself with your lips moving. And they think you're nuts. I've had that happen. I prayed. I'm just, oh Lord, I pray. I'm, I'm going to town. I look over the guy and all of a sudden he's giving me one of these, hey, bro. <laughs> I mean, you know, oh yeah, uh, don't worry about that. How many of you ever looked at someone else and they're just singing wildly to some rock station beating their steering wheel? Does that raise your hands? Does that happen to you? Yeah, okay. Well, let's not uh, sing to some rock station. Let's talk to the rock. Well, pray out loud. That may work for you. If you need passages of Scripture, David said he cried aloud. Second is, you might want to pray with the Psalms, since we're talking about David. Pray through the Psalms. Why does that help you? You're going to find that David, although he was a man after God's own heart, we most know that he had fallen morally horribly. But apart from all of that, We know that in his prayer, some of the psalms that he's talking to God about, it starts out with, Oh God, get my enemies, doesn't it? In fact, in theology, we call it an imprecatory prayer. Lord, sick them, kind of thing. Lord, look at how mean they are. Let them drink their own blood, kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying. You're kind of chuckling. Yeah, I know. I say all this stuff. You want me to pray that, Pastor? No, what I want you to notice is this. If you'll follow the rest of that psalm, you're going to find that he starts talking to God that way. But he often ends a lot softer where he's trusting in the Lord. Have you noticed that? And what he's really doing is he starts out by, I think, upchucking all this junk that's in him to God. And then he's able to refocus on the goodness of God and let all those problems be with the Lord. And now he says, you know what? As long as I have you, because it's all about you, you're all I need. And maybe it's the same way. We'll start our prayers by saying, Lord, look at my boss. Do this. Fire. Get this. Get this. Change this. Oh, God, that's horrible. I hope they're not praying like that for me. And then, Lord, I just want to love them. And I want to pray for them. And I want to help them. Last I'd like to leave you with is this thought. Go back to the verse where it says this. That we may see your face and perfect that which is lacking in your face. So we're learning now to pray frequently, day and night. We're learning to pray earnestly, exceedingly, abundantly, stretching out with more prayer. But while we do, watch this now, it's very careful, it's important. I will build my intimacy with the Lord by my communing with Him through this, with a pure heart. That will fuel my outreach because now I'm praying that I could see that other person. We might say it this way. Lord, I pray that you will allow me to connect with that other person. 
so that, Father, you would use me to mature that which is lacking in their faith. Now, the reason I want to end this sermon so soon on this point is because I've given us enough to work on by God's power and grace for us now to begin to think. So you say, okay, pastor, where should I begin? I, I want to start now. I want to go. What do I do? <coughs> Excuse me. For some of you, the very first thing you might do is to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I know that prayer is building a relationship with you, but I don't even think I have a relationship with you. You are God. You're maybe creator, but I don't know you as my heavenly father. I don't know you as the one who would forgive me of all my sin. Now, when I say maybe creator, I'm not saying that I don't think he's Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.